Welcome back to the New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today, Mr. Martin Theobald. Yo. And Mr. Terry Chapandama. Well, you know, Kennedy's not going to do anything different this time. We think Canelo, Canelo going to run, but Kennedy not going to do anything different this time. Like, Kennedy's the greatest fighter of all time. He's the best fighter I ever worked with. I think Canelo going to run, Canelo going to run, try to steal the rounds. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> up to this point he's kept his cast close to his chest in terms of his gloating that he had planned for the first five seconds of this podcast now nah, it feels good man i woke like, up this morning i saw it and i thought terry's gonna be happy but i called it I, i've never doubted that canelo was a better fighter i feel okay like a lot of people had to put water in their cornflakes today man tasted different didn't they <laughs> Um, have you got any, up to anything interesting this weekend? Either what of you? Done? What? I got a new rabbit. Oh, you did get a new rabbit. Yeah, my one. He got dead. the rampant one this time. Have you agreed on the name of Custard? I think, I think that is what we're going with. I just um, called him Bugs. What was the last one called? Oreo. So we're sticking with the biscuit themed. Um, ah, right. So okay. you can't call it Jaffa? <laughs> no. Or can you? No, no, because that's technically a cake. That's what the whole vat thing was about, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, no, breaking news, new rabbit today. Um, yeah, he seems all right. Rescued, or did you just... No, he's a rescue one. I, I, I don't agree with, like, going and buying them from a shop when there's shitloads of them out there, like, Fucking to be rescued. Hell, like, rabbit apartheid. <laughs> well, the ironic <laughs> thing is, my cats have brought them home before, like, wild rabbits. And, like, honestly... What, for, for what? For a night alive. out? <laughs> Still alive? Like, the, honestly, they... And that would be a legit rescue. Uh, yeah, see, this is the thing, like... <laughs> Is when we had a rabbit, we got a rabbit, and then like a week later, one of my cats like jumped over the fence with this fucking live rabbit in his mouth. I don't know if you ever heard a rabbit scream before. No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I go out the back, and there's this rabbit like just petrified. I'm like, what the fuck? Because the cats pulling out a switchblade, start skinning it alive. No, so the thing is, like, it was almost like a like a sacrifice to the rabbit that I've got in a hutch. Because he's never brought home a rabbit before. So, like, he's gone out and found his own. So and like, I, got, I got you a mate. Yeah. Well, in front of him. Just show me, this is what I'm going to do to you if you get out of that cage. Well, because <laughs> they did it twice. One of them was dead. I woke up to a, a dead rabbit in my garden. Right. Okay. Um, and again, that's like, like fun. have you sacrificed this in front of the one in a hutch? Because that's <laughs> horrible. Where, where are all these fucking rabbits? Like. Yeah, I know all... Martin's house backs onto sort of rural area, yeah, it does it, to some extent. Um, as rural <clears throat> as Milton Keynes gets, anyway. Yeah, as rural as having the M1 on the other side of it gets. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's there is a, a fair <laughs> bit of greenery between it. <laughs> Maybe the rabbits need to get up north. You know, we're going to live here. It's quite close to the motorway. We can get everywhere in no time. <laughs> yeah. So now <laughs> get on the old coachway and get up north. So now I've got a legit one now, not one that's just been taken from the wild and sacrificed in my garden <laughs> horrible little bastards well you've got 
If this one dies, you've got plenty of biscuit names to go through before you have to start repeating yourself. I That's have, good. I have. Um, different coloured rabbits, different needs. Yeah. So. Well, what colour is this rabbit? Uh, is it white and look- brown. White and brown. All right. Okay. Not very custard. Because, see, it sounds more like you a bourbon. You don't get yellow rabbits, do you? I, I'd more call them bour- bourbon cream. No, right? no, 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 Bour- no, 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 no. It's the wrong kind of brown. You don't, you don't, you don't know shit. <laughs> it's the wrong kind of brown. <laughs> you see my rabbit? Fuck off. Uh, Terry, anything interesting? No, I was with him yesterday. Oh, right. He was? I can attest. Mate, um, I'm... Without picking I, I, rabbits. After smashing five quid cocktails, mate, that was... That was Took a lot of stealing myself to just get through that door at your call and switch on and go, right, don't don't get too fucked. It's something you it's an eternal struggle with you, Terry. Yeah, I not. mean he didn't achieve it. <laughs> no, <laughs> did I fuck? Yeah, no, it was a hard wake up today. And then off to Manchester and then Leeds. Fucking hell, man. The the hustle never stops. No days off, as boxers like to to tweet. No days off on okay. this grind every day. I went to a, a steak restaurant. In London, as we kind of spoke about downstairs. Um, you ate more beef than any man needs to yeah, eat. Yeah, I, d- I mean, that is You true. literally were living intense beef. <laughs> <laughs> Serious well, beef. Uh, so they brought, I went at this, I tweeted about it. I tweeted the little napkin that Joshua had signed because they had this wall of these napkins. Of this oh, is that what, it, what I saw? Yeah, and uh, oh. some of them were like, I don't know. Just some random name, then it said New Zealand rugby player, and I was like, okay. Then it had Tom Jones dash singer, and I thought, not the sort of bloke I need interesting child with their themes going, whatever. There's then probably I... a Welsh rugby player though called Tom Jones <laughs> <Yeah>. somewhere <laughs> through history. Yeah. I went to school with a guy called Tom Jones. It was like a like a dwarf with a ponytail. Uh, I was wow. like, I was like, mate, interesting. Tried to play rugby though. Give him his credit. He was two years old and he's mouthy little bastards. I remember I used to just take pleasure in smashing him. So you smashed a dwarf. Pretty much. Dwarf tossing, you know. <laughs> In keeping with English rugby traditions. Are we even allowed to use that anymore? I, I know there's been controversy about whether you can, you know, call it dwarf tossing. I don't know what else you call it. You know, throw uh, little people. <laughs> that, I mean, that sums it up pretty much. I right? love the fact that the, the biggest the biggest bugbear would be what you call it, not that you're doing it in the first place. <laughs> what, what do we call this? I don't want to be perceived as non-PC. Why are you throwing dwarves? <laughs> yeah. Um... So yeah, this steak was like, it was 68 quid for a start and it was probably over an inch thick and it was on the, oh, it was just, it was, it was good. It was really good. Did you 68 go, quid, I'd expect it Did to you go medium? Good. Medium, slow cooked or did you I go went me, uh, medium rare. Uh, I didn't want to go too medium. I like it pink, a little bit pink, but it was still don't we all? enough. <laughs> I like the pink. So like, it's, um, it, yeah, it was, not, it was good. The, the fat had... Had sunk into the meat and all that sort of whatever. No one wants to hear about that. So no, you're right. I went to that, and then yeah, nothing else of note really. But other exciting weekends um, would have featured watching Canelo and GGG. I mean, maybe if you ran a podcast or something, you might <coughs> watch that. But I didn't. So. I don't think Terry probably watched it. So it's... did you? Oh. I, I've, well, I've seen it now. I've <laughs> seen it now. Okay, right. So let's start off with that then. Canelo Let's hit the undercard first. Okay, you don't. Okay, right. Well, it's so, a bit after Lord's Med show, if not, isn't it? It's, uh, all right, then. In that case, should we start off with Spike getting absolutely sparked out? Getting by spiked. Yeah, like he's given it all the the standard Spike gobbiness beforehand. I don't know if you saw the weigh-in. I sat watching no. it on Friday night, and so 
he weighs in and they have their face off and he stands in like a bare knuckle, you know, the old, um, the old stance with like one fist oh, out. Yeah. Stands well, he, like his that. His face lends itself to that. Yeah, exactly. Pose, exactly. He? So he gives it all that and he's been mouthing off for however long about this like on social media about how he's going to school, he's going to take him apart. Gets KO'd in a round. <laughs> like, that's embarrassing. Um, Spike's not very good, is he? But uh, I mean, we were chatting just before we started. The, the left hook that finished him it didn't look like it should finish anyone, really. Like It just kind of caught the cheekbone off the nose. Um, was he out cold or was he just like down for a few seconds? No, nah, he was down. He wasn't out cold. Um, but he wasn't getting back up to beat the count. So, yeah. Just a letdown. Like You're hoping for this... You know, best case scenario would be six rounds of two geezers just slugging it out because neither of them are technical like masterpieces. But instead, you got one round. But the problem was they built this entire undercard. So I got up at uh, two o'clock in the morning. I got home from your call at twelve. Up at two, and by this point, I've already missed Chocolatito, uh, and I've missed this fight. And so then I wake up and they're just about to start fairly soon. The um, Jaime Munguia brandon Cook fight, which lasts three rounds. And so by this point, it's like quarter past two in the morning. And the main event doesn't start until four o'clock. In those I could scenarios, have gone back to bed for an hour and a half. <laughs> in those scenarios, they can't bring the main event forward. No, because they've got international TV where they've said the ring walk will be at four o'clock right. UK time. Right, okay. So they can't bring it. F- <laughs> and yeah, you've got yeah. advertising slots that you've sold. Yeah. And so you kind of just ended up, we'll touch on Hammy Mungir and Brandon Cook, but yeah, you ended up with just an hour and 45 minutes almost of poor old Richie Woodall, David Hayes, Steve Bunce and that uh, Paul Dempsey, Dempsey, is it? Sat around in the BT studio having to fill... Because you haven't really got much of an undercard to talk about because they all got sparked yeah. in a handful of rounds. And there's only so many times you can show footage from the first fight. Oh, man, it was painful. Don't they have overcard fights to compensate in case that happens? No, so in the UK you would. You'd have floaters. Right. Um, so lads that are just kind of scheduled to go on if needs be. Um, but they just didn't have that. So <laughs> a real dry period. You of- can imagine, can't you, in the... In the build-up. Okay, we've got those three fights before the Canelo Triple G. Can I, can I ask a question? What's that? Well, what about if, say, those three fights all ended a KO in, like, the first two or three rounds? That won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, just crack on. All right, then, fine. Yeah. It, just, so I, it seems poorly managed. I don't know what the American audience got. I'd imagine more of the HBO um, documentary stuff that they put together, because that's what they were showing over here as well, just cutting it up and fitting it in. And then fitting that around footage from the first fight, but oh man, it was uh, it was a hard watch because there's only so many times you can hear them talk about a fight that's going to happen. Yeah, I'm not really that interested. I just want to see the fight. But I've yeah. got to wait an hour and forty five minutes. But also, there's all the, and there's a set narrative now, isn't there, when it comes to boxing broadcasting? So they wouldn't take a risk and try something completely different. It's just uh, let's talk what happened in the past. Let's talk what we yeah. think in the fight. But actually, they're wider questions. They're, you, like, you mean, fucking hell, you've got guys like, you've got David Hay in the studio. Like, that's the probably time to be saying, look, let's talk about stuff that's tangential to this, but equally interesting and important. When you're in a fight of this magnitude, what happens? You know, what happens between, you know, you're there 
How do you analyse your opponents? What's the process behind all the of that? The problem is they start trying to do that. And so they were talking about, you know, before you go out there and the nerves that you get. And like, so they go through the whole thing of Joshua said before he fought Klitschko, his knees were trembling, like shaking, hitting together in the changing rooms. And then they'd go on about, you know, these two lads, they're going to be nervous before they go out there. So they were like trying to build these stories and trying to build something. And then they cut over to the fight. And just before they do, they're going... They show a clip of like Golovkin on the pads in the back. <laughs> He's been through this dozens of times. This won't be bothering him. Well, that was a waste <laughs> of the last 10 minutes, wasn't it? <laughs> you've just told me how nervous he's going to be. And then you've overruled it all by saying that. Ah, He's been through this dozens of times. It won't uh, be the first time that Sky Punchry, it doesn't make a lot of uh, sense. BT, to, but... To, oh, you know, sorry, BT, yeah. Same applies. Uh, um, yeah, coverage is horseshit by BT for the record. It was, yeah, oh, it was horrible. They, they haven't cracked. But I, you said Sky would have done a better job with it. Oh, my God. At least they would have got Macklin in and Macklin could have told us for the 12,000th time what that body shot felt like. Yeah, so you, <laughs> end, you, you had clips of Martin Murray and Liam Smith basically talking about why they got beaten by the better person, respectively. And that was kind of, that was the equivalent of what Macklin would have done. But they're just video clips. They didn't have them in there. So you can't ask them questions. You can't follow up anything they're talking about. It was, just, it was quite and, stale. And, and I know this sounds horrible, but isn't everyone bored of Steve Bunce on boxing coverage now? Yeah. I'm legitimately bored of Steve Bunce and his hackneyed thing of, I was there in the 90s doing this, doing that, and some old guy who knew Muhammad Ali and used to buy his shoes for him, once told me this and told me that. Just, I mean, it feels sh- dusty. Yeah, it's just something. Stop. Uh, you just, there's only so many times you can hear him just go over the same old stuff like, and I'm talking about leather. I'm not talking about plastic leather. Leather that you get from cows. I'm talking about leather, the hardcore stuff. You're like, right, I get it. It's not... Not your half-inch leather. Yeah. Your full-inch leather. Yeah, yeah. That's what these guys used to chew before a fight, and I've got that on record. I've got that from the source. There was one point. I was there. There was one point. I can't remember what it was, but it was something really irrelevant. Not irrelevant, but like just a fact. Like I don't know, Golovkin's thirty-six or something like that. And Bunty's like Golovkin's thirty-six, and you can't doubt that. Not 37, not 35, but 36. But it's like, that is indisputable. He has to be the single point of truth on everything. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck off. You can't doubt it. Was, it was something along that. That isn't verbatim, but it was something along those lines. But it sits perfectly in character with the way that he describes literally everything. Yeah. Uh, yes, sir. Well, what? Actually, he's 36 and a half. Good. <laughs> Go to the ice cream counter. There's literally three flavours. What do you want? Chocolate. And I don't mean... <laughs> Just give him chocolate. <laughs> All right, are we going to jump on to the main event? Uh, well, the Jaime Munguia, well, Brandon uh, Cook yeah, one. We'll touch on, on that. Old, uh, how did Brandon do? Well, he went out and fought. Like he said he was going to go out and fight. And he got fucking battered. Mm. And like that was almost inevitable. When you see them in there, if you've seen Jaime Munguia fight... He's just relentless. He throws ferocious shots. He's sloppy, but you don't want to be on the other end of it if you're somebody who's six inches smaller like Brandon was and doesn't carry the power necessarily to stop him from coming forward all the time. Brandon's a welter. When when he came to the live show, you looked at him and went, no way is he a super mid. Uh, light, Light mid, sorry. No way is he a super mid. There are people that know his fights better than I do, so that he can legitimately bang. Um, and I think he must have 
He needed, if he could, if he can, he needed to do that in round one. He needed to gain the respect of Munguia. He didn't, and therefore Munguia just had his own way. But Brandon tried, you know, he was swinging, he went out. So he didn't go out like bottled it. He went out and he probably gave his best. And his best wasn't good enough to beat Jaime Munguia by a long way. I think it was a third round stoppage. Munguia, though, is just, (laughs) I mean, how old is he? He's very young. 21. 21. Um, he's beaten Liam Smith now. He's beaten Brandon Cook. Saddam Ali. Saddam Ali. Um, Put him in with Kel Brook. <laughs> uh, Brook don't want that. There's no no way that, Brook like, needs like, that. Both eye sockets will go. <laughs> and and, and Mungia will just pull out that bit in the middle and keep it. Yeah. <laughs> the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> Kel just have like a big hole in his face forever. But yeah, Mungia is just an animal. Like, He's sloppy, and they were saying afterwards, you know, you wouldn't necessarily want to put him in with a Golovkin or a Canelo as yet because they could pick the holes that he's got. But I think I want to see it. Like, I want to see him step up. I want to see him fight a Charlo. I want to see him fight a technician um, because he ran through Brandon Cook. Um, And that's about all there was to say. The, The hooks to the body were ferocious. It's a horrible fire. <laughs> like you just great to watch, but what you wouldn't want to be on the it? other end. Mexican. Oh, okay. But yeah, you can imagine him and Canelo, like two Mexicans. If they can get that to work somehow down the line, that'd be an amazing. So is it spectacle. exciting for the future. Yeah, and for the now, he's a world champion. You know, he's yeah, not he's one. not to be disregarded. Um, but you know, imagine the size, like two one five four guys going in. If you had him and Jarrett Hurd. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> the punch output, this is a fucking work rate. Yeah, but like just the size of the two guys. They're like two like heavyweights. That <laughs> Surely they'd just go, oh, fuck off 154. Like, let's just go natural on this. Um, natural. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, let's um, <clears throat> top this section off with Canelo Triple G. And you were vindicated, Terry. Listen. I said it at the time. Remember, we did the analysis of the scorecards and what we said was there was general consensus on so many of the rounds that none of those judges screwed up. Even Adelaide Bird didn't really screw up because she wasn't that far out of step with how people saw the fight. And I was criticized by by these rats. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're these rats. And do you remember what the argument was at the time? Canelo kind of won that fight because he was just running. He was backing up all the time. And that's what they said, right? He was backing up all the time. GGG was coming forward. He was the aggressor. And all this stuff was part of the debate this time last year. And it's like, fair enough. We'll take that, right? Have the discussion. Have the debate. But remember what you said when the rematch comes around. And I always... look. We discuss this many times when we talk about rematches. The problem with a rematch is when you're a puncher and the first fight goes the distance, you're no longer a puncher to the guy you were in the ring with. So first fight, Canelo was preparing for a puncher. His chin held up for 12 rounds against Golovkin and he got the draw. Now you're going in and you're like, he's not that special. Now Canelo's like, what can I do to Golovkin? Because he's not going to do anything different. What am I going to do different? And you saw it from the first round. If you watch Canelo, he went straight into the feints immediately. And we were discussing this at your call yesterday. Yep. The <clears throat> art of the feint. And for me, the feint is 
you, sh- you should do everything in your punching process other than throw the punch because it's those triggers that Golovkin will react to. So Golovkin was reacting to that. And it meant that Golovkin couldn't get a foothold in the fight. So if you look at the first three rounds, depending on how you... Look, I, I scored him 3-0 to Canelo. The judges scored him 2-1. But there's not much in it for those first three rounds. And actually, across the first four rounds, all three judges are consistent. Two rounds each. I had it... I had it 3-1 Canelo. Because for this fight... and I. I've got the notes somewhere in my bag. Of I made notes as I went along. So I, what I liked about Canelo was the intelligence, the control of the ring. The fight was happening where he wanted it in the first third of the fight. And that's what you want to see. That, that lets me know he's in this fight. And it was up to Golovkin to solve that problem. Because every time Golovkin tried to open up, if you notice, Canelo started to pop the uppercut through the middle. And Golovkin was eating those all day. And so you move into the middle part of the fight, and here's the bit that should have surprised everybody. Golovkin was blowing by the fifth round. You could see every time Canelo was digging, I don't know if you guys, Andy, I know you didn't watch it, but Martin, you'd have seen it. Every time Canelo would go to the body and he'd really sink those shots in, like full leverage, and Golovkin's hands would drop immediately. And anyone who's been hit with that shot knows, well, that's a signal that, shit, that really hurt. But then there was a great um, left hook that he landed where he sort of, not faintly, but he he went to throw it to the body and Golovkin immediately drops the arm down because he knows what those shots are like. Drops the arm down, which leaves the head completely free. And Canelo could just tee off on it. And so you're watching this fight. Now, ignore punch stats for a second. Just the intelligence that both men are trying to show. And Canelo's so far ahead here. Excuse me. He's setting everything up. And people are saying he's not doing enough. But when, whenever he landed, it was clean. It was with the first two knuckles. It was bang on the target. And when, when you're watching Golovkin land, what you were watching was, a lot of it was scuffing off a glove, catching the wrist. It wasn't clean and precise There was work. so much. I watched it with the BT commentary on. Um, I will come on to that in a sec. Now, I I was so annoyed watching it because I didn't have an agenda. I didn't really care who won. I just wanted an outcome. But the BT commentary clearly wanted Golovkin to win and ignored the work of Canelo. Now, I personally scored it 114-114. I just... (laughs) There were certain rounds... You can make an argument. Being as I am the only person here that hasn't seen it, and I'm sure most of the listeners have, this might be indulgent, but what was the score? It was a unanimous decision, right? No, split decision. Oh, sorry, split... Okay, so what were the the scores? Do you remember? No, I haven't got a clue. Yeah, majority decision to Canelo. It was... I think it was 114, 114, 115, 113, two times. So... Right, so it was proper bloody tight anyway. There's There's no dispute, like... There's not much between these two men as fighters. No, there but is not much. So much. There's so much more output by Golovkin, of which that Canelo defense barely got mentioned by Barry Jones and who was the other one on commentary? John Rawling. Yeah, I think so. Barely got mentioned how good the defense of Canelo was, and even just the basics, the very simple having the hands up tight around the face. It's not to say that jab never got through, but they were making out like every jab was landing when it wasn't. And there were some that penetrated that defense and got right through. Or, you know, he found the timing whereby the hands weren't there and he could get through. But if you listen to Barry Jones, every jab landed, I think. Like, it was embarrassing. So 
the sense I got with Golovkin was from round five, he was tired and he was almost boxing to to nick the rounds. Like he had no aspiration to really hurt Canelo because he didn't have anything in. But then he just resorted to, if I keep jabbing him, he's not very active. I can win these rounds on a jab. Which he was being effective with in places. But as I say, the, the defense of Canelo was being ignored completely yeah. by the BT commentary. Do, do you remember the bit? I think it was round 10. Golovkin lands this big right hand, boom, right? The one that rocked Canelo back. Well, well, I don't know if it rocked him, but do you remember John Rawling loses his shit? My God, he's hurt. So then Canelo then proceeds to slip six shots. Yeah. He proceeds to slip six shots, pivots out, and then goes on the attack. And then I'm like, on what basis are you saying he's hurt? He's not hurt. He's just come back and he's shown that he's perfectly fine. And you don't mention that and you don't give him credit for I think that. he probably was hurt. I'm not doubting that he was hurt. But what he did was he was fit enough, strong enough, young enough to get his wits about him very, very quickly, show those defensive oh. chains to get out of the way and then go back once he'd recovered and do his own work. No, because if you remember, and the, the sequence lives in my head, Golovkin throws the right and it hits, Cane uh, hits Canelo. Canelo's about to throw his right, so he carries on with the movement to throw his right hand while getting hit, goes through the whole pattern of pulling back, which he was going to do anyway, whether he'd been hit or not, slips round, the shots are now coming. Now he starts dipping, slipping and rolling. There was no break in motion in that sequence for them to have said that he was in some kind of distress. And then I think it happened again in the next round where they were trying to create this sense of Canelo in distress. And I'm watching, I'm going, but he's been more effective in that whole exchange than Golovkin was. And you got to that point where you're watching it and you're like, round six was an example. Go and watch round six towards the end of the round after the clapper where Canelo slips and bangs a right hook to the body, like literally shovels it right into Golovkin's belly, folds him over with it. They didn't even mention that. So if you listen to it with the commentary, you're there going, Golovkin got robbed. I listened to it twice. I had the BT version, I had the HBO version. Halfway through the HBO version, I just turned all the sound off. But I really enjoyed, like it was such a good atmosphere in there that I didn't want to lose... I was quite enjoying having that there. I just didn't enjoy necessarily the commentary. I normally like Barry Jones. I don't mind him. He was he was poor. I thought night. he was. And and there was a whole narrative in this that people just wanted Golovkin to win. Agree. So when because look, my scorecard is one of the few times I've actually scored a fight while watching it without knowing what the result was. And I had it 115, 113. And I just have to change one of those rounds for it to be a draw. No yep. one would have complained. One of those rounds. And it could have been one of those swing rounds in the middle. There were plenty of rounds that could have gone yeah. either way. It, and so what really pisses me off is the whole Twitter reaction to these things where, like, ah, oh, corruption. <laughs> Canelo was always going to win it because it's in Vegas. Somebody pointing out about Golovkin's only won one of the scorecards out of two fights. So there are six scorecards potentially available, of which he's only won one. Two incredibly close fights. <laughs> yeah. If you did it over 10, then you're probably going to end up with 50-50 out of who wins the, out of those scorecards. Yeah. It just so happens that out of these two fights, I personally thought Golovkin won the first fight. I personally thought last night was a draw. I have absolutely no issue with anyone saying it's the other way around, up, down, indifferent. I, I don't care, but it really annoys me when people... 
like as if their point of view is the only respective point of view that can be taken. And, and then you're like, who the fuck are these people anyway? Oh yeah, this is how I scored it. And I'm like, have you ever been on a judges course? Do you know what to be looking for? Are you looking at foot position? Are you looking at whether he's fainting or not? You can't even see yeah. foot position for most of the yeah. part on a TV. Yeah. But, but the judges can, you see? No, no, but on yeah. a TV. Yeah, you can't. Coverage, what I'm saying. Are you looking at the feints? Is it a head feint? Is it an arm feint? Is it a you body feint? Have, you don't even have to look that deeply into it. You, all you have to do is think to yourself, two of the judges had Canelo as the winner. One judge had it as a draw. So those, ju- those judges, one of them against two of them, disagreed on one round. You know, there or thereabouts, maybe three rounds, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. one round... All you've got to do is, like you said, disagree by one more round yeah. and you've got Golovkin as the winner. So what? looking at the result, if you've got any sort of semblance of understanding of the bigger picture, you think to yourself, all right, so they've, they've actually only, they're, they're, potentially they've only changed their score, their judgment by one round. But yet, oh my God. But I think <laughs> there's a hysteri- hi, uh, yeah, hysterical I'm sh- nature. I'm sure I'll use the same example after the last fight between these two is watching John O'Donnell, Eric Ochiang at York Hall. And I was sat with Brooke Stretfield. I was that, that was a night. bigger fight. <laughs> that was the biggest <laughs> fight. Um, English title fight. I sat with Brooke Stretfield, who I was with last night. Always enjoyed my time sitting with Brooke watching fights. Um, shout out to Brooke who'll be listening to this Monday morning yeah Brooke the balance there. that was funny yesterday <laughs> um, <laughs> Stephen tripped her up <laughs> yeah so like Brooke and I were sat one side of the ring and Steve was sat the other side of the ring and he came round halfway through the fight to see how we had it scored we were completely different in how we got the fight scored no, we were watching the same before. fight yeah. from the same distance from opposite sides of the ring because of what you could see and what you couldn't see and so for these judges to within one point for yeah. all of them, like, don't tell me that's corruption. So, yeah, yeah, so yeah, here's yeah. the problem I had with Barry Jones as well. The benefit of watching it after the event is you can watch it slow down. And there were times in every round where he was calling jabs as landed. And I was like, you can't tell if that's connected or not. Yep. Because I can see where the glove position is. That could have easily hit a glove. Yeah, because remember what a scoring punch is. A scoring punch isn't just you threw a punch and it hit something. It's it's knuckle part contact with the target area, as I was told, with force. This is what we're told in judging courses, right? So I'm looking for that jab that hits you nicely on the chin, pushes your head back. That's more valuable than seven punches that just hit my arms. Even though in reality, those seven punches I'll feel later on. Yeah. In that round, I can't score the damage you're going to do tomorrow today. Do you see what I mean? And people don't realize this. So when people are telling you, I had it this number to that number. But I don't it, understand why people... That, that, that's, like, that's like saying, I shagged your missus and you have, you've got no penis. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, well, <laughs> you, wow. it's not wow. possible I that you could what? have done that. How's that come out? Yeah. No, it's not, but you know something like, looks turned yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. There, there has to be a possibility that you'd be in a position to engage with what judging is. And a lot of these guys aren't in a position. Well, just because you've got fucking eyes on YouTube. Don't be an idiot. Like, there's a reason why judges earn money. There's a reason why judges are well taken care of. There are reasons why, reasons why guys like Dave Moretti get invited time after time. Because people trust their eye. I don't trust fucking at no penis 66. You mean, I don't trust his view on Twitter because I don't know what he's done. He's got no track record. And for all I know, he's just changing his story after the fact, just to fit in with, with what the group are saying. So all of this stuff comes into it because there's a lot of stuff in that where I was like, I'm not seeing what John Rawling's seeing. 
What's he calling here? But also, I mean, I just enjoyed it. Like, I, I didn't care who won. And so the fact that Canelo won, cool. I'm happy for Canelo. Uh, is he a drugs cheat? Yeah, he's been a drugs cheat. Is he still? <laughs> Maybe. More, is Golovkin more... a drugs cheat? Maybe. Mm. I don't care about the good versus bad angle of it. Well, I just more, If you did think that, there's, there's less and less sportsmen to actually gain psychic. True, about. true. But when... <laughs> When you get through to like the tenth round of the fight, and you feel like you've been watching it for like five minutes, and you, yeah. you're gutted there's only two rounds yeah. left How after the fuck it. Fuck, is it round ten already? Yeah, or yeah. and you're yeah. gutted there's only two rounds left but, at the end. That's what I enjoy, like that yeah, kind yeah. of fight. And you so, don't get many of them. No, you don't. <laughs> but for me, I just I watched that fight, and it had so many echoes of the first Taylor Hopkins fight when they fought for. Pretty much same position, 2005. All right, Bunsy. There you go. No, no. <laughs> and the reason I say this is it's, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great fight to watch because you had, you had the exact same tactical challenge. You've got, you've got Hopkins, the clever counterpuncher, the guy who he sees it before it happens, versus Taylor, a guy who can really stick it on you. And we know that from the fact that he was, was he the first guy to drop Froch? I think he was. Yeah. So we knew what Taylor was. And so when you watch that fight, you know, I, I, watched, I watched it back just to, to get a sense of, you know, how the two sit together. And you watch that fight and that was a, was that a majority decision or split decision? That was controversial at the time as well because it was, do you reward the clever counterpunching or do you reward the, the more cerebral come forward style of, of Taylor? And generally speaking, you're going to reward that intelligence. And that's the difference. Golovkin doesn't have that intelligence. You know, Hopkins had that intelligence, but what Taylor was able to do was execute those punches and punching combinations in a way that Golovkin struggled to do because it appears he hasn't got the gas tank to do the 12 anymore, which we suspected in the Jacobs fight, if you remember, we discussed that, where is age catching up with him? And it looks like it is. But now we need to go back and look at Golovkin's record. Take, take the two Canelo fights out of it. We're really only looking at Danny Jacobs as a guy we think is a credible middleweight opponent for him. For someone that people are talking about, one of the all-time great middleweights, one fight, and that was controversial. That wasn't a dominant win for Golovkin. Mm, who, yeah, doesn't who, that negate your earlier point saying that it's indisputable that there's a... a fa- this is obviously not verbatim, but a fag paper between Canelo and Golovkin in terms of... In terms of ability, like well, well, no, no, well, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. We haven't placed Canelo among the middleweights yet, have we? That's why I said take him out for a second and let's look at that record before the fight, before the first fight. You only really had Danny Jacobs. So these guys are talking about Golovkin as an all-time great middleweight. I don't disagree. The record, the CV, isn't very good. No. Um, you know, there's two parts to it. One is there haven't been that many challenges, certainly through his peak years that would have given him a better CV. And the second part of it is those that were there, Billy Joe Saunders, he didn't want anything to do with Golovkin three, four years ago. Um, And so you kind of feel for him that he's either not had the opponents or not had the opportunities. But either way, it's still still a fact what you're saying. He refused to move up. So when people talk about this guy being an all-time great, he refused to move up. And seeing the way Canelo took his shots... You now understand why he didn't move up. You now understand why he didn't want the fight with Ward at 164 pounds. Because that power we thought was real isn't real at the elite level. 
He's 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 a solid puncher at the elite level. And you'd almost wonder, does Canelo punch harder than Golovkin? Because Canelo's put away legitimate world-level guys. He's hurt legitimate world-level guys. And now, yeah, so I'd rather we use this time now to be a bit more realistic about who Golovkin is. And let's also give Canelo credit for getting another name on his CV. I don't think this is his best win, just because... I've always expected him to get the better of Who's Golovkin. Better? Well, remember we talked about this last week and it's hard to tell because he started so young. There are fights on his record where it looked like he was so overmatched. You know when he was like 21, yeah, 22? Yeah. He turned pro at 15, didn't he? Yeah. So so, <laughs> yeah. so, so, so I guess what I'm trying to say, and I hope this is coming across, is the stage he was at might yeah. make a difference to He's, the name he beat. He fought... Did he fight Mayweather at like 22, 23? He fought Mayweather really young. Yeah. I think Golovkin is the best win on his record. I don't think you can make an argument against that. I don't want to say Austin Trout. Nah, I'm not having that. Oh, well, you have to because Trout has... He has... Didn't he fought Cotter? So he's... Trout's... If you say one five four, Trout's up there. Still is up there. As old as he is now. So when he fought, and I remember we discussed this last week, when they had the open scoring, that's a hell of a win for a guy who was essentially a kid then in boxing terms. That's a hell of a win. The Golovkin one, I mean, two guys at the top of it, you've gone into it. I don't, I've never thought Golovkin was that good. You know, I don't think he's a special fighter. And I thought, I think Canelo could be a special fighter. We'll find out more when he's in with more intelligent boxers. So I'd like to see him in with someone who can switch it around, like uh, Billy Joe Saunders. What do we want to see? I would quite happily, because Saunders seems to pass on every opportunity to take that fight. Whether he will or he won't going forward, I don't know. If he goes through Andrade. But uh, given that Golovkin's 36, what's he got? a year, two years left in his career, I would happily see those two just fight until Golovkin retires. Fight every six months. Or Billy Joe and Golovkin? No, uh, Canelo and Golovkin. <laughs> I would. Like, if you told me they're going to fight four more times and then Golovkin retires, I'm all right with that. <laughs> I, do you know what? I genuinely think a third fight would be so decisive for Canelo that we'd just be like... That was sad to watch. And maybe it needs that. Because at the moment, you've still got people that seemingly... Like, people that are almost as if they're Canelo's... Or sorry, Golovkin's like twin brother or something. They're so angry, so bitter about the they've fact They've got eight-year-olds in their basement. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really weird. Like, I, If that was the case, that Canelo walked through and took everything he learned in the first two fights and applied it and walked through and it was decisive, I'm okay with that. Because it would put to bed all the arguments. If it went the other way round, I'm okay with that. Put to bed all the arguments. All you'd hear is, "Now nah, he was old then. He was old. He was past it. But, but you can't, you're never going to avoid that then, are you? Yeah. I, I would draw a line under this now and I'd say to Golovkin, move up. If DeGale doesn't get the Eubank fight this year, ask for the DeGale fight. Golovkin in the UK fighting DeGale, we'll all go to that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's true. Do you see what that's I mean? True. We will all go to that. DeGale in the UK fighting Groves, we'll all go to that. Agree. Yeah. There's, we understand who Golovkin is. We will go and watch Golovkin. Like, that's how we work in this country. 
why is he fucking around in America still trying to get love? He should have fought all of his fights here. But here's the thing. I've, I've, we watched him fight Kel Brook. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Why did we get excited? About yeah, that? yeah, that is odd. But, but here's my question. And it's one of the things. I was talking to one of Golovkin's sparring partners. Um, we... Hey, we're friends because he's in Vegas. And so when, when boxers I know go over there, I try and put them in touch. But we were talking. And I was asking about what goes on in camp. And he was talking about the body protectors they all wear. Even Golovkin wears a body protector in the off-the-camera sparring. And I was watching how he struggled with body shots. And I was like, is that a legacy of using a body protector? Because I know Groves got to him with body shots as well. It seems that you can get to Golovkin with body shots. I don't know if it's having these body protectors that seem to be in, you know, the fashion now that stop people taking those hard shots and psychologically preparing themselves for them. So I, I don't know. Maybe that's something that that becomes a relevant fact. I know there are a few trainers out there that are listening, Wayne. So feel free to, to answer <laughs> that question. Okay, so um, what happens with Canelo next? Whatever he wants. Yeah, but what would what would be okay? What do we want to happen with Canelo next? Saunders, what? winner of Saunders and Drado. Is that likely to happen? No, because Saunders doesn't want it, or because Canelo well, doesn't want it. That win doesn't elevate Saunders. The, when Saunders won against Lemieux, and you're like, ah, because Lemieux's one of De La Hoya's guys, he would have happily sold that fight. Andre, people. Just you know what Oscar's like. He he will shit on any other promoter. He'd be like Andre. In he'd been inactive. He's not very good. Eh. So Saunders needs a win, like a Danny Jacobs type win, where he can say there's no one else Canelo can fight in middleweight apart from me. Either drop the belts or fight me, and it needs to be the Danny Jacobs win. Now, do I think Danny Jacobs deserves a fight against Canelo? If he beats the, I never say his surname, probably Debrechenko, is it? Yeah. That he's got to fight for the IBF. Yeah, we'll see. Let's see what happens there. But Canelo can do what he wants. He could go down to 154 and say, do you know what? I'll fight Kel Brook. <laughs> I'll take the challenge. Yeah. I just need a fight where I can rest my body. Just have it easy for I a bit. I need a fight where I can rest my body. Yeah. Let me come, let me, <laughs> let, let me, let me come to England. In the same way you six doing it. <laughs> okay um before we get on little that, tick over um well goodwin show last night mine yeah no, well, it was, and um, terry as it turns out yeah it was all right it was uh not not the greatest show by any means and um but there were a lot of young lads last fight was really good you know was classic. it was it yeah. you weren't fucking there you don't know well, well, someone was meant to be there you know why assessing it reviewing it why because, you know, we need our propaganda. We need our Goodwin propaganda. No one pays me morning. if I'm there or not there. Goodwin propaganda. <laughs> not Goebbels. Um, no. So, no, all right. Yeah, yeah no, it's an all right show. Um, highlight of it for me, completely sold out. Like, So next time, you guys, don't be late to a Goodwin show. Completely sold out. Go get your tickets early. Yeah, the uh, the highlight for me, as with most shows, is online is Shadofia. Like... 
I know people are probably sick to death of us talking about him, but that kid has something else about him that you don't see at that level. Where's John Moore having a go at you for just loving one guy? <laughs> I love know. many guys. Uh, well, that's a bit, yeah, bit yeah. wrong. <laughs> but true. Nonetheless, true. <laughs> yeah, Richie Gray offered to give me a hand job last night. But... Oh. What, to get some knowledge? <laughs> he heard. Um, but no, Linus Udofia took out his opponent. Um, I think it was scheduled for six. Took him out in two. Um, again, just does the things that you don't see that often down at York Hall. He'll place two shots, step off to the side, place it again, step back or move away, take a step back if he needs to. Um, just really impressive. I like the fact that he's a combination puncher. Yep. Um, I do. And I was bitching that not many people in British boxing are training their guys to be combination punchers. And a combination puncher isn't necessarily, I'm just going to just let my hands go willy-nilly. It's... I'm going to use two shots to do something, reposition, use another two shots to do something, come back in. There's always, we just discussed it with Canelo, there has to be a thought process behind what you're doing. And when you're watching Linus, I think the one thing that puts a smile on my face is there seems to be thought into what he does. And that sets him apart already. It's, it's almost a shame he's not a televised boxer because he's a guy that I think TV viewers would get excited People about. would enjoy watching him if he had a bigger audience. I've no doubt about that. Is no that something we can look forward to in the future? Or? Uh, and he, well, he signed with Haymaker and then Haymaker have, you know, kind of packed up and gone to America to some extent with Joe Joyce. So it's, why I don't really think they 100% know what their future plans are yeah. in, the, in the UK. So, um, but yeah, there's always the potential. He's still young enough. So it was... Uh, uh, they put it out on Twitter last night, so I think we can discuss it within reason. Um, Tay is, I think they verbally, uh, Tay Linus um, has verbally agreed to fight Taylin Jones, from what I understand, for the Southern Area title at middleweight. Uh, December the 1st is the date that's been mooted for it. Um, it's not been signed, it's not official, it's none of that stuff at the moment, but I know Linus put it up on social media last night, so we can kind of discuss it to that end. It's a nice exchange between him and Tate. It was can get fucking hold. hilarious. <laughs> so Linus puts up a photo after he's won, says he tweets to Tay like, uh, December, keep my belt warm, I'm coming for you. Tay responds like pretty much immediately like, look, I've had all your bullshit on Instagram, I can't be bothered with it right now. Um, whatever, like we'll sort this out another way and Linus just puts see you in December you pussy <laughs> anyway like this goes on a little bit I, I had a quick chat with Linus on my way back in the car last night uh, had a few a few words with him um, and like he genuinely he's well up for that fight um, and so the stuff that you saw on Twitter I don't think that was all entirely fabricated. There's a little bit of spite there because they've always been very respectful to one another before. Like, yeah, bro, it'd be really good to do this fight. Whereas like having a quick chat with Linus last night, his mood had changed about him. Whether he was still in fight mode because his fight only went one and a half rounds, don't know, but it'll be interesting. Hopefully, hopefully that comes off December the 1st. Mm, Chatting, um, there's some other fights that could end up on that show that will be very, very intriguing title fights. Um, but, you know, I'll be called the Goodwin Propaganda Machine. Whatever, that's fine. Um, <laughs> there's a show October... 13th. When, 13th from Real October Fest, cracking show. There's a show in November, which is the Wadi Camacho, Arfan Iqbal fight, which on the undercard has got Michael Ramabalatza versus Ryan Walker for the English um, Bantamweight title. 
Like, there's some really solid shows to end the if year. If Jumanji Camaro's not on a card, I'd... He's fighting I, Jeffrey Afori. Um, which date, though? Uh, uh, 13th of October card is uh, him versus Jeffrey Afori. That's, that's, that's looking like a really good show. I was, I was saying this yesterday. You've got the most explosive, the most athletic, the most insightful, the most articulate, perhaps most intelligent heavyweight this country has ever produced fighting on October 13th in John Palata. If ever you wanted to buy a ticket to see the future, that's the reason why. So, yeah, I mean, aside from that, and he is on that, you've got uh, <laughs> Kamari Afori, uh, K Prosper versus... Danny Connor, which is an English title eliminator. Dion Juma, the ex Sowerlands cruiserweight. Um, well, he's a light heavyweight at the time, fighting Jose Lopez for the Southern area. So, I mean, look, they've got a really solid end of the year. I know a few lads that listened to this came down last night and watched it. Um, I think they had a decent time, but you'll yeah. enjoy any of those cards. The October, yeah. November, December cards are all looking like solid cards. Yeah. It's been a bit of a dry spell for maybe six months for Steve and co whilst they're building up this next layer of lads coming through and now it's it's harvesting so, the talent. So so now for the Terry take because last week I slaughtered the Goodwin show for being horse shit and I don't, I don't shy away from that. I thought last week's card was horse shit. I thought this week's card was better. No, I did. It I thought, sounds like it couldn't get much worse. No, 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 no. I thought it was a good, it, it was a good card. Like for an early season card, yesterday's card should have been the first one that came out, because I'm like, okay, I see, I see where it's going. You know, it, it it made a bit more sense. It was good, but one of the things I came away yesterday thinking was a large part of these Goodwin cards is actually Steve. Like Steve sets a really good tone because he's everywhere. Like. I love watching Steve at his own shows because he's there and he's talking to everyone. He's engaging with people. They're asking questions. He's talking. Like there was a point where I was, I was talking to John Pilata. You already know what this guy is, so I don't need to say it again. But it was me, John Pilata, uh, my, my really good friend, Javan Young, and those people who know I'm into boxing know who Javan was. Box for Jamaica and the Pan Ams. Boxing the World Championships, sadly lost to Govodchik. If only we'd known how good he was going to become. <laughs> I think I think he would have stuck at it a bit more. But he he lost. He wasn't even like knocked out. It was just he lost his rag and the ref stopped the fight. But it was me, him, JP, and I can't remember who else was there. And Steve comes up, just has a little chat. You know, they all speak to... And then Steve goes off and Javan's like, What's Steve like? I'm like, Steve's a genuinely good guy. And John's like, yeah, yeah, no, Steve's proper, man. He's a good guy. And that little bit of word of mouth is what gets Steve his reputation. Because he could easily sit in a corner away from somewhere being super official, but he's engaging. Um, and he was there talking to Kofi. He was there talking to everyone. It was really, that bit I really give Steve and Josh credit for, that engagement. And Kevin as well. Yeah, definitely Kev. Because... When you pay that money, because look, I paid 65 quid for my ticket. I came halfway through, but it didn't bother me. Like at a matchroom show, I'd have been like, I want to pay half because I've missed half the fights. But here, it doesn't bother me because I show up. I get to catch up with John. I get to catch up with my mate, Javan. Isaac's there. So Isaac and I have a really good chat. You know, John Hardy Jr.'s there. You know, the guy he's knocking about. Yeah? Why he's knocking about. Yeah, without the cane rows, which, which, yeah, th yeah. which, th which threw me a bit. It was like when Buster Rhymes lost his dreads. But also, 
then you've got the guys that we interact with. So Rob Martin's there. And I love Rob. And here's the reason I love Rob, right? At any point, Rob either looks like he just negotiated a truce between two gangs or he looks like he's just finished playing golf. <laughs> True. At any point, he, he, he was honestly, I'm half, I half expect him to show up at York Hall one day, fully camoed up with a sniper rifle, just in the corner somewhere. Like anything's possible with Rob. So yeah, there's loads of them. There's Paul Altai there. There was Dan Frost. There was Riku. Uh, sitting down with Richie Gray and Sam from Fight Talk with Brooke, like, and I, I love going there just to, like, it's a social if nothing else. Yeah. Like, I watch a bit of boxing and write about it, but you just go there for the social and just it's, catch up with everyone. Yeah, even, even like you know the Whips, Dave, and everyone. Just everyone there. It's like a real community feel, and I know that's not equally applicable to everybody involved, but if this engagement continues, it's almost like concentric circles, like the ripple effect it starts to spread more and more. So that's the one thing, like, you know, I know last week I was hard, I was hard on the whole Goodwin thing, but in the interest of just me being uh, honest... I think you were honest. Yeah. Uh, because, and, you know, if you ask Steve, was last week's show the best you've done? He would give you the honest answer. Yeah. So for me, yesterday, I'll give you what I saw yesterday. It was really good. Um, one of the highlights, actually, and th- this means nothing to anyone, but I was it was probably the happiest I've been in ages. About two and a half years ago, I used to train a lad called Dennis Oshijo. Six foot three, southpaw, middleweight, amateur. Class. Like, anyone who knows Spencer Fear and ask Spencer about Dennis. So Dennis is Larry Ekendio's either cousin or brother. It always confuses me. And he's Kofi. He's Kofi's cousin. That's how I know Kofi as well, because he brought Kofi down. Donka. Yeah. Yeah. So I hadn't seen Dennis for years because he went off to Germany. I think he won the German championships and he was trying, he was trying for the 2016 Olympics, but he got done over by politics. And just seeing him, this is what I mean. Like as a trainer, you form these bonds with people. So me seeing Dennis and every time I saw Kofi, I was like, where's Dennis? Whenever I saw Larry, where's Dennis? And they're like, he'll be back soon. And just seeing Dennis back and involved in boxing and telling me he wants to give it another go. And I'm like, this is why I love this sport because he's someone I'd do anything for. Because, you know, he, whatever I asked him to do, he did. And it was good to see him as well. The only reason people would know him was he was in the corner with Kofi. He had the t-shirt on and everything. But he's a, he's a class act. And if he ever decided to don the gloves, he'd be a class act. So he was impressive. Martin Foru. Yeah. Martin Foru uh, made his debut last night. He's a, a young man, also a model outside of the ring. Um, trained by Daily Perales. Keep an eye out for him. Over time, keep an eye out for him. He yeah. looked special. And I know he's got a very good amateur upbringing. Well, um, he's, he's one of those we describe as a solid amateur. So he he got out the Londons, which for me, I always say, once you get out the Londons, that tells me you can cut it as a pro. But it, my question now is, will he reach that higher level? He's got the potential. I always say, well, mostly say, when you come out that All-Stars boxing gym, you're always going to be fundamentally sound. You're going to be fit. You're going to be dedicated because that's the culture they've had since AK set that up years ago. And so seeing him do what he did yesterday, not that I wasn't surprised, but I was impressed. So I went, okay. I was impressed because not only did he knock the lad out in a round, he did it intelligently. He didn't mm-hmm. rush him. It wasn't like a, it wasn't as if his adrenaline had got the better of him and he went out there and rushed the kid and got a first round stoppage. He took his time. He picked the lad apart. Impressive shot selection. Good power behind it. Yeah, once I he liked knew, it. Once he knew the guy didn't want it to the body, 
everything was just a setup to go down to the body. Yeah. There, there was real planning behind it. And if you remember last week, we were asked about whether Daly's a bullshit coach. This is, this is what I mean. This is the life of a coach, yeah? Last week, you're horse shit. This week, you know, you're the next Freddie Roach. So it's a reminder. Sometimes you have to be measured in your assessment of trainers and fighters. And you have to look at the entire body of work before you can make those judgments. But no, it was, it was good. There's enough to get excited about, you know, Kofi as well. Really happy about Kofi. Brad Pools was there. Give me a little tease about what he's got coming up. I like Brad Pools. Good fire. Yeah, so no, it was... It was it was enjoyable. Enjoyed that one. Um, I know we're going to drift into AOB in a second. But one thing I did want to touch, and I didn't do this last week, because I wanted to say, like, there's a guy called Dave Stewart. And story is basically is one night I was coming home from, from a night out, jump in a cab, and we get to, I get talking boxing with a cab driver. So I'm like, okay, who did you box for? He was in the Eurythmics, wasn't he? Well, once upon a time, he was. Who? Dave Stewart. Him and Annie Lennox? So, I made that up. I'll find out. Might have made that up. No, so I jumped in the cab. We got talking boxing. So he's like, yeah, I used to box for Repton. I was like, when? Like early to mid 90s, he boxed for Repton. So at this point, I'm like, Jesus Christ, he must have been good. Because <laughs> he was he was essentially... Was Sc- it Dave Stewart? <laughs> there you go. No, so he was essentially Scottish ABA champion, came down here. You know, he did his thing. And so we're talking. And then he's like, I turned pro. I'm like, okay. At this point, because I hear so much bullshit about boxing, so I'm still cynical. And he's like, yeah, I trained with Tony Sims because we got talking about Fitzroy Lodge. He's like, yeah, Tony Sims. And I was like, oh. So now at this point, I'm like, Tony, ooh. So now I'm like, he must have been televised because Tony doesn't train anyone that's not televised. Yeah, yeah. So we get talking and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, definitely boxed, did my thing. And he boxed a guy called, I think it's John Thaxton. He boxed with a Commonwealth yeah. lightweight title. Now, Dave, six foot, lightweight. Just think about that for a second. And so he was talking about how he'd gone over to Hong Kong as well and become Hong Kong like, lightweight champion. Well, in the same way that uh, Ian Lewisham was like yeah. WBO Oriental champ. Yeah. So, so then, but then he, he, hit, he hit on hard times and I asked him, mate, why, why didn't you take over? And he was like, do you know what, mate? I always struggled with the drink. And so he was saying that, look, my life spirals out of control with the drink, but I'm getting help now. I'm I'm back in touch with Tony. Tony's helping. Hopefully he'll be my sponsor through the process. I'm just trying to get myself clean. You know, I'm driving the cab. I'm happy. And when you meet guys like that, this is what boxing is to me because he knew guys like Eddie Lamb, guys that I'm friends with. So we, we know a lot of the same people in the sport. And all I could end the conversation with was saying, mate, come down to the gym, come and help the kids, come and pass on your wisdom because... I'm, I was watching him in the cab. Like, you know when you watch it? And I'm like, this guy can really box. And I, I, I say this story just to remind people that after we've slagged them off and after we've paid the pay-per-views, after we've bought the tickets, these guys have to go and live in a real world and sometimes they struggle. But remember what they gave you when they were at their best. And don't be afraid to just lend a helping hand because... For me, that's what the boxing family is. If you fall over, we help you. Like you know, Brooke did when she tripped over Steve. I tried to grab, honestly, I, I did. Like, <laughs> I'm sure if someone was taking a photograph, there's just my arm out there. Just like, no. And you got a yellow card for that, man. Yeah, that was definitely cynical. But no, look, Dave Stewart, if anyone knows Dave Stewart, um, mate, get in touch with him. I mean, just, just appreciate he's a good guy. Like, Has he come down the gym? 
No, he hasn't, but I can understand. There might be know, timing issues and all that timing, stuff. Or but... he, might, he might be with Tony Sims. You know, it's something to, I'll, I'll check with those guys, but he might have just gone to Tony's. I know he wants to, he's itching to get back involved, but I think he just wants to get himself straight. So fair enough, but he knows where I am. Like, you know, I think Eddie Lamb will be back in touch and all that sort of stuff. Cool. It's, yeah, and that, I mean, just, that was one of those stories where, you know, it's just a reminder to people that the, the sport, it can do things to you in life. So just, you know, when you're slating these guys, just remember, they have to live with the consequences of your words long after you've lost interest in them. Okay, let's, uh, before we move on to um, current events in boxing, let's talk uh, some of the questions that have been asked in relation to what we've just talked about. Can you fire that coach one to Terry? Because I need a piss and it'd be a good opportunity for... The coach one. Last week didn't need a piss at all, did he? Nah. Yeah, that's Terry's area of expertise. I can go for a piss now. Okay. Ray. Um, Ray. See, that? Ray. Terry. Um, I don't know you had to look up the question on your phone quickly, Andy. <laughs> Seamless. Dave McGinley asks, well, he doesn't really ask, he states, in my opinion, Abel Sanchez was badly shown up last night. The first time ever his man needed help in the corner and advice, i.e. a plan B, etc. All I heard from him was a fairly basic throw more punches as opposed to insight into how best to do this effectively considering the style Canelo was implementing. Um, let's look at Abel Sanchez, right? His two best bodies of work are nominally Gennady Golovkin and Terry Norris. Golovkin hasn't really fought anyone apart from Jacobs, and Canelo, two fights in a 40 fight career. That's not spectacular. Terry Norris, just can't how many didn't to you just Didn't you say someone else earlier? His best fight, his. his uh, yeah, no, Danny Jacobs, essentially. Okay, so I thought you'd said, mentioned another name earlier that didn't mean anything to me when you said it. Golovkin, his best fight to date. That's Jacobs. Okay. Yeah, no, no, even you can't even put Rosado in that mix, can you? Okay, yeah, yeah, so yeah, so you've you've essentially got that, and then you've got Terry Norris, and Terry Norris is kind of famous for being volatile and hot-headed, maybe getting a win against an aging and confused Sugar Ray Leonard, but there's nothing in Sanchez's record that says he fixes problems. So Terry Norris was notoriously bad for discipline, and as a trainer, it doesn't seem that Sanchez was able to fix that. Just the noise of me settling back into the Google beanbag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so so, so you're looking at that. All in Norris was a guy who got hammered when he moved up to heavyweight, so clearly didn't have the skill to survive. Um, Lupe Aquino, one of the guys that Abel Sanchez had really early in his career, was okay till he stepped up. So you're looking at Sanchez and you're like, you don't have the the CV of other trainers who you're kind of mentioning the same breath as. And what you definitely aren't able to do is come up with a plan B mid-fight. So what what are you going to do when you have a boxer of average physical gifts? What are you going to teach him? Because you're not always going to get a Golovkin chin. You're not always going to get a Terry Norris athleticism. You're not always going to get that. So what are you going to train? And this is why if you look at Abel Sanchez's career... He doesn't train many people. He looks for those unicorns and then goes, right, I'm just going to give you a style that emphasizes punch volume. And then whenever you lose or you get robbed, I'll just say, look, you outwork these people. And it creates a, 
a psychological cue for people to reward your work rate. So I'm not, I like what Abel Sanchez does some things that are good and he gets the sport quite well, but he's not, he's not the superstar trainer people make him out to be. Before we move on, I forgot to mention about seeing the lads from uh, Beyond the Rope podcast last night. Uh, Michael, um, it was just a shout out for them and their live event again down in uh, down in London. I can't remember the date of it off the top of my head. Every time I mention it, I forget it. But they're raising money for the Kyan Prince Foundation, son of Mark Prince, um, who uh, had his his issue. He got stabbed, um, and so they're getting Mark Prince and Spencer Fear on down. They're showing Rocky get drinks and what have you. But I can't remember the date of it. But check it out and be on the Ropes podcast on their uh, Twitter page. But it was good to see them last night as well. Um, okay, a couple of questions I want to fire at you two. Kev Morrow asks, question for the pod, how much of an influence on people's perception of a fight do you think commentators and quote-unquote experts um, unofficial scorecards have? Huge. It becomes an echo chamber. And I think what Terry was saying earlier about the jabs that Golovkin was throwing that were hitting clearly at times hitting the arms of Canelo and then less clearly at other times you don't really know if they got through the guard or not but the amount of people that I think are so outraged about the fact that Canelo won this fight there were if anyone watched it on that BT if you watched it on the BT commentary and you didn't have a picture so you just say that as a radio commentary then you would be horrified that Canelo had won that fight (laughs) You would. You would think it was a robbery based upon the work of John Rawlin and Barry Jones. No, no, no neither of us, well, I say none of us, none of us three have any extensive commentary experience. But. Not since we got sacked by MTK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. And then proceeded to like beg for another chance and then cut them off as soon as we got the chance. Did not cut off MTK. No, no, we did. Did we didn't. not. <laughs> Be clear there. Um, so. How do you think it's difficult to not let your own opinions of the fighters um, pollute your yes. perception of the yeah. fight? Because I was quite aware at the beginning of the fight, I was probably in my head after one round, or maybe when the, when the opening bell went, I kind of thought, oh, I want Golovkin to win this. And you may be favouring his work immediately. And then you sort of have to step back and become more objective yeah. when you're watching it. I don't think that objectivity ever really came through in the fight. There always seemed to be the agenda that was pro-Golovkin, anti-Canelo. You hear it's, it a lot in Joshua fights, don't you? I mean, uh, I'm not. I'm, and a lot of Joshua fights are one-sided. I, I accept that. But you, just, you hear that. You, you can almost accept that on the basis that he's a British person and you've got British commentary and remember yeah. when Brooke fought Canelo and he landed like the uppercut oh, so not Canelo uh, Golovkin he landed that uppercut and the O2 went wild and the commentary went wild and again if you were listening to it just off the commentary you would start to think Brooke's about to knock him out when in reality Golovkin took the shot yeah like Golovkin yeah. took the shot as if it were any other shot yeah. as if it were a jab he was still stood there still waiting was he it, and it was interesting, wasn't it? Like, if you look at the BT cards, what was it? Bunce was 114-114. Woodall was 115-113 Triple G. And Hay was 115-113 Canelo. Canelo. And I think that's a fair reflection of how people should see this fight. Yeah. Everyone saw it differently. Yeah. You know, and it's about what you like. And you, you could almost see Steve Bunce 
just ever the, I just, I don't want to upset anyone, so I'm just going to sit in the middle. Wishy Woodall, we know what his career was about. It was about work ethic, graft, the fundamentals, and he clearly rewarded that. We know what David's about. David's about the skills, the counters, the stuff that looks good, and he seems to have rewarded that. That's what boxing is. And David's not wrong, and Richie's not wrong, and Steve's not wrong. And it's not for us to say that they are wrong. It's like when Nigel Travis tweeted, I had it 150-113 to Golovkin. I can't say to Trav, mate, you're wrong. I can't, because that's his opinion. And that's why you have more than one judge, because you want an aggregated view of the, the different opinions. Yeah. Um, Paul Altai asks, um, with you... With you attending a lot of small hall shows, clearly not talking about me, um, and, not, <laughs> and not having the privilege of commentary at said shows, uh, do you prefer to watch big fights on TV with or without commentary? So it kind of feeds into the question we last asked. I prefer without, and I often watch Sky shows without, but I really enjoyed the atmosphere that fight last night. And it was that hour of the morning that if I didn't have any noise on, I might well have fallen asleep yeah. as well. So, it would be nice to have the choice, wouldn't it, to listen mute, without mute the commentary. Com- I, li- yeah. I like it with the Russian commentary. So I watched the video with the Russian commentary because it means nothing to me. But I'm there. Going, okay. I'm fluent in Russian, so that's a problem for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I know they're biased as fuck. They love a drug cheat. <laughs> no, so... It, it, cool. No, so... 120-108 there. It's no, Canelo. So, so, so being honest... I think if most people watch common fights with no sound, they'd be absolutely clueless about what was going on. So you have to you have to have a pretty good eye. You have to know what you're really looking for because otherwise you wouldn't need commentators. That's the thing. So it's a good way to learn about getting your eye in and understanding what's going on, but it's also quite a tough way to learn as well. It's eye-opening sometimes when I've been to fights. You watch it and you're like, it's easy to watch a fight, then post-fight you find out what the judges thought whenever and you go yeah that's what I thought and you think yeah I've got this the next fight you go to you're like you find out I don't know fighter B wins and you've had it fighter A and you go fuck it's always it's always Andy interesting Scott. I just go back to that Andy Scott tweet where <laughs> straight after the fight he's like what did he say 115 113 Eubank Jr do you remember that when we were in Manchester yeah <laughs> I always find it interesting small hall shows when you've got, I think it's English titles and above where you have the three judges. And like, I like to sit and score those fights myself independently and then just compare my scorecards to how they see yeah. it. It's always quite interesting to see how you see a fight compared to the judges. I do always find it easier to judge a fight when on the odd occasion I have been, we went down to Essex, went to, when I have absolutely no preconceptions of either fighters is so much easier because my perception of the fight definitely gets polluted by who I know and how you know what I'm expecting yeah it definitely does you um, can't you can't stop being a fan it's weird isn't it but you can't stop being a fan it, it takes ages to unlearn that it takes a like even when you're training guys it takes you ages to become emotionally detached from your guy in the corner and think about What's going on as a whole picture? What do I need to say? So in the beginning, I look at myself as a trainer. In the beginning, I was just all energy and noise. Like, come on, do it, do it. And I realized I'm too much in, I'm, I'm too invested on one side of this to be seeing the big picture. And I think just with experience, you roll that back and now you, then you can look a bit more dispassionately and go, 
what's the right thing that needs to happen here? What's, what are the things that are going on? And it, is, it just takes time. Anyone can do it, but you, ha- you have to dedicate yourself to wanting to do it and you have to invest the time in doing so. But again, you go back to that Golovkin-Brook fight and the commentary, and you kind of accept that because it's a, you know, Kel Brook, he's an English lad. He's getting some success against Golovkin and those commentators are on the edge of their seats. They're so excited about it. It's the same as if you watch England in a World Cup quarterfinal or whatever. You accept that the commentators for that are going to be more invested than they are in Sweden-Denmark. And if we score, then they're going to lose their shit a little bit. Whereas when we concede, they're going to sound like they're really, really depressed. Apart from Roy Keane, who who just doesn't... He just sounds angry. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter what's happened. He's won the lottery. He's pissed off he wasn't more. Um, Dan Glosier asks, this is a bit of a long one, but um, I th- it's going to be, I, th- I suspect, oh, feel free to either of you. What is a Glosier out of interest? Um, because, somebody, somebody puts glazing in. You know, because if you, if you. But in the past. Yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, if, cause, well, if you, if you fix windows, you're, you're a glazier, right? Just like if you, if you work with brass, you're a brazier. So if you're a glosier, hmm, glosier. Maybe it's ones that shine in the dark. Perhaps. Inserts glow. If you meet Dan... Shines bright like a diamond. You, you leave him with a glow. That's how much of a nice guy. No, that's Rob Martin. You spend time with Rob Martin, you just <laughs> feel good about yourself. It's true. Um, in respect to Terry's talk about ticket sellers last in last week's pod and previous pods, I don't think it's just limited to you. It's, I, uh, having read this through already, it's, it's more about the ticket sales... And the pressures that are placed on younger fighters. But anyway, I digress. Um, I read a piece a couple of weeks ago about Isaac Dogbo and how his dad essentially allows him to focus on fighting and training only whilst his dad deals and has dealt with every other aspect through his career, including ticket sales. Other than being a very endearing talent, I'd be keen to hear the panel's take on how you believe Dogbo managed to attract mainstream notoriety without plugging the ticket sales himself in his early career. Is it just a one-off instance where his dad happens to be a very good marketing executive for him, or is there other cases where this has happened? No, like, look, Isaac, Isaac hasn't made the money he deserves to make, right? Bear in mind, this is a guy that you can't find one negative story about anywhere, right? There's not one person. This isn't a kid Galahad where there's all kinds of dirt. This isn't a Tyam Booth who was a walking time bomb. Isaac Dogbo. Dog Bay, sorry. Dog Bo, fuck it. That's why I used to call him. I'll call him that now. <laughs> Even if he doesn't want to be called it. This is a guy that boxed... This is a 23-year-old <laughs> that boxed in the Olympics at 17. And he boxed for Ghana because England boxing wouldn't allow him to come in. Even though he was better than anyone they had. They said, no. Because people didn't want to deal with his dad. Because his dad said, that's my son. I have to be part of this. And they're like, no, we want your son, not you. So then he was like, no, we'll do it our own way. So they've always done it their own way. So once he won that, then it was like, okay, what do we do? And there was a notorious sparring session with Frampton. Um, anyone who's got access to Shane McGuigan, ask him. I remember the exact words Shane said were, I thought that had taken years off his career, the work he was doing with Carl. It was great for Carl, but I don't know if it was great for Isaac. And this was as an 18-year-old. He was giving Frampton hell. So then they've they've kind of been wondering you know, ever since. So there was time in the States with James Tony and so forth. And they got on undercards there because, you know, in America, they just need filler. So Isaac would go on. Sometimes I think he'd even fight for free, built up a name and a reputation. Now he's got that American connection, went back to Ghana to fight in Accra, where there's a bit more money for him. 
bit more. Like he in, he integrated himself into you know, the wider Ghanaian sporting consciousness that way. Still being ignored in the UK, apart from people who knew him, guys like me who have watched him grow and develop, you'd see him come back every so often and he'd still come to amateur shows, which I like. And you talk to him, how things... And they've plugged away until they got their world title shot. Now we know who he is. So Isaac's never really had to sell tickets because he's never been in the UK having to sell tickets. He's always been on either someone else's show in the States or he's been boxing in Ghana where it's like, look, come and see the guy that got robbed in the 2012 Olympics and probably should have won a gold or a silver medal. You know, So I think that, that's, that's kind of the Isaac story. And you're still surprised that no British promoter broke the bank to get him. Herndon put the money down. Not one penny of that DAZN money went on getting Isaac. A guy who you could have said, look, I know you're 122 at the moment, but you can get down to 118 to fight these guys like Burnett and so forth. We can make all these fights happen. And Isaac's just like, I'll fight anyone. But not once did they. Be and I think deep down, they just don't want to deal with his dad. That's that's what it is. But his dad's the guy. Like Isaac wouldn't be who he is without his dad. Has, I think. Has there been other other boxers though? To go sort of more specifically to the question, where you have people around them that have uh, taken that pressure off them at the, such a young age. Because we've talked about it before, where young boxers have to go around flogging their own tickets and dropping them off at not, people's no, houses. No, no, no. Not many have to. So, so Isaac doesn't do that. Isaac has guys. You, if you need tickets off Isaac, there are guys you can get them off. If well, you, yeah, I think that's if you, what he was yeah. saying, wasn't it? With his dad doing all that, yeah. taking that so, weight off of him. Is that, is that well, common? No, no, or? no. no, no. It, well, he never had that weight on him because Isaac's never had to shift tickets. Do you see what I mean? Isaac didn't come up right, the traditional... Okay. Not on a ticket deal. Yeah, he's not on a right, pay-to-play okay. deal. It was, look, we need a fight for this card. Will Isaac do it? We'll give him this much money. Like when Cal Yafai went to the States, he didn't have to sell any tickets. But what Paul, what Paul who's Isaac's dad, has had to do is keep the fire burning, keep Isaac known in the consciousness. That's why they've got Melt PR involved now. Yeah, so Melissa Takimoglu, is it? Yeah. Who does a, a good job yeah. of being able to push him onto different platforms. Yeah, so um, she she she's done a lot for him in terms of getting his profile over. But he needs a fight here at 122. Give him Kid Galahad, like even at a catchweight, give him a fight here. Jesus Christ, the kid deserves it. You know, he deserves it. He's done so much for boxing in this country. Do you see what I mean? He's done so much. Let, let him have his opportunity. So look, I, Isaac, someone as everyone, I've said it on here before, I'm biased because I was one of, the, I think I was the only other person other than his dad allowed to, to train him 10 years ago when he was just a kid because his dad wanted to be in charge of everything. But his dad trusted me. So Isaac has a very special place in my heart. And I think he's been done dirty by boxing. He deserves to be far higher profile. He deserves far more of the riches that the sport has. But boxing is very rarely fair. Okay, uh, last question for this for, for this portion, then I'll get on to current affairs. So speak. Um, Riku Heikler asks, do judges need to be more transparent or speak to the media to avoid fans calling results robberies? No, fans will always call robberies. And the more you talk, the more reason you give them to bitch and moan. Fans should just stop fucking scoring fights. But I mean, during that fight, or <laughs> during the fight, Abel Sanchez, who is Golovkin's trainer, said you're losing this fight. End of round eight, wasn't it? At the end of the fight, Abel Sanchez, Golovkin's trainer, said he accepts the decision, not a problem with it. And yet, as Terry says... People call it a robbery. But Abel Sanchez says you're losing the fight. Doesn't have a problem with losing the fight. So why... Uh, can I be honest, right? 
Here's the thing with boxing. Just watch it as a fan, for fuck's sake. Why do you need to get deep into the minutiae of, of what happened in the fight? Just watch it as a fan. It's a lot more enjoyable. There's nothing worse. I look at myself now and I go, I've become so jaded and cynical about the sport. You? That that I can't enjoy it as a fan anymore. But it's true because how many World Cup games do you watch? How many Premier League games do you watch where when your team concedes, do you rewind it like five minutes to find out what phase of play you lost the ball in? Why didn't your fullbacks cover in? Why were the passes... Fuck that, I don't even watch match of the day if my team loses. (laughs) But like, I am I am as bad a football fan as I am a boxing you know, fan. <laughs> why was the average pass length 18 yards when normally it's 50? All these things you don't yeah. do as a football fan. You just sit and watch a game and if your team loses, you go, oh, fuck it, I'm really annoyed yeah. about that. As a boxing fan, we seem to think as boxing fans that we can do a better job. I can't do a better job than Mark Halsey, referee in a Premier League game. I can't do a better job than those judges no. who had paid to judge a professional fight. So just enjoy it. Yeah, like... It's like, remember when you thought wrestling was real and you got really involved in the, yeah. And you just, you lived in that moment. You weren't there like in the internet age where you're like, yeah, Randy Orton's going to win this. Then next year at WrestleMania, he's going to fight Triple H. Now you just, now this is not even fun. There are no surprises for you now. And all these guys just, you're sucking the enjoyment out of your own boxing experience by trying to be the smartest guy in the room. The fact is, you are nowhere near the smartest guy in the room. Stop. Well, I think half the reason for it is the fact that because boxing has a, a shady background, or at least has lent itself towards the shadier elements of life, dark art, so to speak, it's such an easy conclusion to come to when things don't, don't go your way as a fan to then go to scream corruption, isn't it? Agreed. It's so yeah, but, easy to but do that. things go your way. Like, Golovkin doesn't give a fuck what, what Dan Rice and fucking Kettering's doing. He doesn't give two fucks. Sit down with your stupid but fucking scorecards. when has that cards. ever stopped anyone from... People complain about football now, don't they? Like, oh, there must be something wrong with that linesman or something because the referee's yeah, taking a bung. But, There's still referees but, that if they're, they're born near uh, some play, I think it's, it's Martin Atkins is born near Liverpool and he's not allowed to judge. He's not allowed to referee Liverpool-Everton games because yeah. no one knows if he's going to be neutral or not. And, yeah. it's, and it's not that he can't be neutral, it's because people's perception of him not being neutral when it comes to giving a penalty or whatever. Yeah, but that's fine. So, yeah. you know, if you have an English and American fighter, you might have one English judge, one American judge and one Italian judge for the same reasons you know in case there's favour to one or the other but but it goes back to this thing and like I I followed what Joe Selkirk said this week because he was right a lot of people who talk about boxing are full of shit because a lot of people try to say Amir Khan's shit right Joe Selkirk might have been right but he's got a terrible way of putting it well I think he's just had enough and (laughs) he's not in the sport anymore is he really so no because but so, so for people who don't know, Joe, Joe Selkirk was of that kind of Bellew Price, Amir Khan generation. So early to mid-2000s, boxing for England in the sort of GB setup. And he was a hell of an amateur. Let's be clear about this. A hell of an amateur. Just beset with injuries. He was just unlucky with injuries and that killed his momentum in the pros. But he w- he was right because 
a lot of people will just flippantly say Amir Khan's shit. He's washed up. He's not a British great. That's so what he was saying. What, what his tweet was, was something along the lines of, boxing doesn't need all these um, fucking Twitter fans or whatever. Don't need you in the sport. Fuck off. It was the long and short of what he wrote. But no, no, but there were more tweets. Behind, so, so that was... I think I, I didn't read that and uh, then... No, no, but if you go back, it starts off with... All these people calling Amir Khan shit. What fucking planet are you on? Essentially, to summarise. And then someone piped up and he went, but what do you lot know about boxing? How are you even judging this guy? And then, you know, and I think Amir Khan's the wrong example of calling shit because 2003 World Junior Olympics beats Victor Ortiz in the final, right? That's, that's, a, that's a meaningful win. Considering what they both went on to do, that's a great win. 2004, Silver medal, you lose to Kinderland. No shame in that. Then you turn pro at 17 and you have the career Amir Khan's had. He's never had easy fights. But it's only an idiot that would call him shit. I think we've got to agree upon yeah. that without digging into it too far. Yeah, and I think that's what Selkirk was having a dig at because there was another tweet where he goes, I don't mind you having favourites and I don't mind you saying I hope this guy gets beat or I don't think that scorecard was fair but you can't keep calling boxers shit if you don't know how to measure whether someone's good or not. Yeah, but also he's damaging um, at a time when there's so much involvement in the sport that you've got 75, 80,000 people going to watch Joshua next week. I don't think it's that high. Okay. (laughs) But whatever the official number or the unofficial number is, he was basically saying like, don't buy tickets, don't watch the sport, don't get involved in it. To a to a percentage of people that are involved in watching the sport, no, I think what he, he he's saying, in, in, and what that's in, what he said, don't buy tickets to it. Yeah. Like, that doesn't help anyone well, to say well, that. But now, now I get where he's coming from because all you had were, were people just slaughtering this guy, like who the fuck are you? And then you're like, that's Joe Selkirk. Come on, man. Like, if you start with a who the fuck are you, then I'm like, you're the problem. Yeah, but then you've got that. You've got that across the board of every sport. You've got people yes. that will pipe up about, you know, Sansa Sanso. Oh, he's yes. shit. He's shit. Look, he's shit. You've got Premier League footballers. He's shit. One of my favorite. on that shit because well, no, he's no, a Premier League no, footballer. No, no, no. One of my favorite moments in terms of football. Someone was. Someone. I think Curtis Woodhouse said something, and someone had a go at him like, "Oh, you can't talk. What, what do you know about football? You weren't very good." And you his response very was, "Good, brilliant." No, did you remember that? And he goes, "Mate, you see that stadium." In your profile picture, I I was there when it was full. Yeah. And I just thought, that's how, if you're a boxer, that's how you respond to something. You just go, mate, yeah. Just ha- have a sense of the order of magnitude here, right? Yeah. yeah. And it also depends on what you're, I mean, I, I'm not talking about Amir Khan here, but I've been guilty of saying, of, of saying that, but of saying, you know, ex-boxer, he's terrible, he's rubbish or whatever. But I'm saying it in the context of, elite boxers yep. I'm not saying it in the context of the wide range of, but otherwise every boxer that I see on TV I'd be he's very very good even though he just got knocked out by another very very good boxer yeah. so in, in, you know I, I do appreciate that I you know I, I'm, I'm the guilty of other people but I, I think you've got to you've got to select who you're accepting that criticism from with people like, a, yeah, if the, boxers are starting to kick off about you know some random x123 uh, at 12345kid dot you know whatever on, on twitter <laughs> then and saying what are you saying about me don't listen to him well, no, no, <laughs> if, but, but, if he's a nobody but, why are you but, letting him bother but he, you? He, he was, here's the prime example of of everything right uh, i can't remember who was trying to stir the pot someone someone tweeted paul smith like you should listen to the new age boxing podcast 
I don't know if you've seen this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and then like Paul, so, yeah. So Paul Smith's response was, "Nah, pass, mate. Like none of these guys have ever boxed before. What the fuck can they tell me about how a boxer feels in the twelfth round of a fight?" So when I read that, at first I was like, "Paul Smith, you're a fucking dick," but then I stopped and I went, "But what does Paul Smith know about being a world champion? What does Paul Smith know about going to the twelfth round of a world title fight, knowing that you're ahead?" Paul Smith knows about being very mediocre at boxing. But is he going to sit there on Sky and go, yeah, I was a very mediocre boxer. Whenever I stepped up against anyone talented, I lost. No. But then he wants us to accept his views just because he's laced with a pair of gloves. So then the question becomes, what's the threshold of materiality? When does your experience become relevant to the thing you're talking about? This is exactly what I was frustrated about. He said, none of these guys are taking the ring. I haven't. But you two have yep. in in various ways. And he's like, okay, so if if then I'm, are you standing in front of me, I go, well, these two guys have. Oh, yeah? Well, what have they done? Oh, mm-hmm. right. So now there's a level you've got to achieve. Like, first of all, you didn't have to step, you have to step in a ring. I've stepped in a ring. Well, what it's level have so you stepped true. in at? And then, and then it becomes like, well, I'm actually only accepting it if you're above this level. Yeah, but you can't talk about it because you've not, you know, fought well told. Oh, okay, fine. Well, well, as long as you're in this level, you know, this specific zone, then that's... Oh, fuck off. You can only talk about the level you've achieved and below. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, yeah, I, so Paul I, Smith can't even tweet about us. It didn't even make sense. He's never made a podcast. He can't no. fucking criticise him. <laughs> and not only exactly. that, but, but he's oh. never sold out a live event. <laughs> Facts. He's never sold out a live event. He's never had an event that's gone over capacity before. <laughs> which, is what we, which is what we have. We have been so successful at selling out live shows, we've actually put our own audience's lives at risk by going over the fire safety. But look, look, so, 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 the the, let, let's, not, let's now talk about all of Eddie Hearn's live events now. So, look, I, I don't have an issue with what Paul Smith said about us at all. Because at the end of the day, we're sat here giving an opinion on a sport that none of us have done professionally. And so he has every right to have an opinion about us as podcasters. Whether he does or whether yeah. he doesn't want to listen to what we say, absolutely fine. I don't have an issue with it. I don't have an issue with Paul Smith. I don't have an issue with wait, anyone, wait, no, really. No, no, but no. This changes every six months. One minute you hate the guy. Then no, you're, I don't then, hate then, him. Then you're you'll in pictures anything. with him. And then he's a dick again. No, you'll yeah. never find any of him I hate him. All I would oh. say about him is that he doesn't come across very well on social media as somebody that I would want to you know, spend go on holiday with but at the end of the I day whether he whether he likes our podcast or not that's his opinion we sit here giving opinions no nah, well he has to listen to it first it would be rich oh, yeah, of us yeah. to say well i mean no 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 hypocritical if we said you you can't, you can't have an opinion not on... until you've succeeded at a podcast between no, this level and this level not even that. i'm just like <laughs> mate mate don't 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 have an opinion on something you haven't listened to like, if I'm going to start off Paul Smith, I've seen enough Paul Smith to go, mate, you're very average. You know, I'd never say Paul Smith's average. You go, how many fights have you seen? None. That looks stupid, right? Why are you stating the New Age Boxing Podcast? You listen to it? No. Uh, what if it's good? Uh, fuck off, mate. The same as, you know, music, isn't it? Like, oh, do you like so and so musician? Never heard them. They're shit. You wouldn't do that, would you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, like we ran like, out of time but, anyway, but, but, yeah. but wait quick question who was that grass anyway that was just trying to antagonise like whoever you are mate you're a disgrace so why are you trying to trying to cause conflict look if you listen to the podcast fantastic listen to the podcast don't use us 
as reasons to get your kicks and your laughs. What made me laugh was people that then responded to Paul Smith's thing. I was like, yeah, fucking right, Paul. Don't let those people who've, like, anyone who talks about, you basically just backed him up. Yeah, fucking right, Paul. If, talk, if they don't know what they're talking about, they're fucking, right. I was like, what? You don't even know, you, you don't even know the podcast either. What are you going on about? But that, that, that's the thing that bugs me is, look, don't use us to, to, I'm not here to be someone's entertainment or someone's laughing a joke. Like, get a life, man. Because here's where the problems creep into this. You'll say that sort of dumb shit to the wrong person. That person might confront one of us. And then it's a problem. I don't know how that ends. But that's a needless problem in the real world because you're being immature in the virtual world. Be an adult. Listen to this. Now, for the record, I'll be absolutely clear about this, right? The things I say on here, I have to be confident in saying to the person's face, right? I have to be. Otherwise, I shouldn't be saying them on here. But I don't need people creating that situation. If I see someone, like if I see Joshua and Joshua goes, so you don't think I'm a good heavyweight? I go, nah. I don't. I'm not a fan, and I I have to have the courage we'll to visit say that you to in him. hospital. Don't worry, Terry. And fair enough. So be it. Like I will happily take that lawsuit. I'll never have to work again. Do you know what I mean he <laughs> he'll he'll be fighting to pay me? Like I'll feel like Frank Warren. <laughs> no, but, but that's what I'm trying to say to you. So when I see Steve Bunce and he goes, "Oh, I'll see what I'll say to his face." What I don't need is someone going, Bunce, you'll never guess what these guys said. But don't do that, man. I agree, you're, because it goes out of context. Yeah, you're well. adults. You're embarrassing yourself. That's why you don't get girls, right? Mm -hmm. You don't get girls don't because go down that road. it's beta. <laughs> and no, 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 no. But that's beta male behavior. That's like almost like an indirect form of cock blocking. Like, you know, when, you know, you, you know, you know, when you fancy someone and someone you know goes to them and goes, well, you know what? I saw him talking to another girl. And you're like, you fucking what? fuck out of here. And then, and then no one gets fucked because that girl's like, you're a bitch and <laughs> no he's one, a dick. No now, one gets fucked. Now everyone's starving. You're fucking up the game. So who, I don't remember who that was, mate, but you embarrassed yourself. But okay, Right, anyway. Quick one. Right. One thing that really, really pissed me off, just following on from Toby's rant, something that was in there somewhere, is the amount of Twitter accounts that are just false name, false photo, and all they do is go on Twitter and just fucking tweet miserable shit or doesn't I know I'm not the most exciting or like happy person on Twitter but ones that just go on there to like tweet like oh so and so's just that that podcast or that video account or whatever that's fucking terrible like what do these people get out of it they're using a false name a false photo do they go home and tell their like actual real life mates assume they have any like oh I've got this brilliant Twitter account it isn't my name it isn't my photo and I just go around tweeting like Eddie Hearn. I go Under my Transformers duvet. Yeah, but I don't get it because like, <laughs> I'll put my name and my face to everything because as Terry said, like, I'll be accountable for it. That's fine. If somebody doesn't like it, that's fine. Yeah. But just to have like a false photo and a false name and then just go around cunting people off all the time. I think, where'd you get your kicks out do, of do you know what I'd love? I don't understand. I don't know. I I'll tell you what I'd love. I'd love it if Twitter just said, this tweet came from this location. I'd love that. Track the IP back to... Well, I swear it used to do that ages ago. I might be wrong, but you could tell where someone was tweeting from. Anyway, we got like 10 minutes. Yeah. Ah, see wow. what's up to cover.
But no, listen, all of you guys, stop being bitches. You're not going to get girls fucking around and, you know I mean, snitching and cock-blocking motherfuckers. <laughs> Live your life. Be your own man and the women will come to you. Totally, totally. And you indulgent. guys that have women as your fucking profile pictures but tweet like men, you're embarrassing too. Totally indulgent <laughs> 10 minutes of soapboxing by all three of us, but never mind. Um, right. Bellu Usyk, or Usyk Bellu as it's been announced, uh, was announced... What do we think to that? Is Bellew going to get his ass handed to him or are we going to come uh, come back to this when Bellew's won and go, he's done it again? Do you know what? If he does, fantastic. Like, if he, if he does that, fantastic. And I will give him all the credit in the world because right now, if you ask me, I would say he's got a, a 10% chance of winning that fight. I'm going to say he wins. Any reason? <laughs> I was listening to Gary Faye Davis. This is the Gary Faye Davis on the um, something or other on Talk Sport last night driving home. And they just kept talking about the equaliser that he's got, the left hook. He landed it on Makabu. That's like he's beating up a fucking hammered David Hay. That isn't an equaliser that's proven against somebody who I mean, now the World Boxing Super Series is like an eliminator contest to fight Tony Bellew. <laughs> Madness. Uh, look, the, and here's the thing. When I watched Usyk against Gassiev, I think I said this at the time, and I said, Gassiev had nothing that had Usyk thinking. For all Bellew's faults, he will give Usyk something to think about. And that might be the first time in the last 18 months we've seen this. But... I always go back to, do you remember that Usyk fight? And I can't remember who it was. It wasn't the Machunu fight. It might have been after that. And Caldwell and Bellew were doing the commentary. And the question was asked, would you fight this guy? And Tony was like, no way. No. No, you know, we're in different stages of our career. He, he had no intention because he was watching this going, God, this guy's special. He was saying that. So all of a sudden to be fighting, I'm like, psychologically, how do you change your mindset from actually this guy's too good for me to I can beat this guy? If he can do that, good luck to him. I'd like to see Bellew wobble the guy because I want to see Usyk do that thing I like all champions to do, come back from adversity. So I want to see him get put down, come back, stay disciplined and score a win if he does. Or I'd like to see Bellew just, you know, hammer someone, start gloating and then go and say, right, I'm just going to fight Joshua at heavyweight and retire. Yeah, I mean, if this is the last fight of Bellew's career, I've not enjoyed his career. I'll be perfectly honest. And I think I've tainted it by that Roberto Bolonti fight on the undercard of Carl Frotch, Yusuf Mack. And I sat through, with you, Andy, 12 rounds of some of the most boring boxing I've seen in my entire life. And I've sat through some boring boxing. That was my boxing. first exposure to Tony Bellew, to be fair. Yeah, and that was a horrendous mm. fight. And I think from that moment on... I, I can't warm to his... Like, over time, I've warmed to his personality, but I still can't get excited for a Bellew fight. Fair play for what he's achieved. Brilliant. And the money that he's made, brilliant. I just... I can't give him a prayer against Usyk. Um, Ricky Hartle asks, is Matchroom in the process of culling their UK stable by scheduling so many domestic matchups for their prospects? Nah, it's a chess move against Frank. What do we always give Frank credit for? He makes those matches that aren't necessarily Hollywood moments, but they're fights we want to see, right? That's what Warren's made his name on in the last couple of years, you know, Williams versus Smile. Not big names, but when they fight, it's explosive. And I think Eddie Hearn's now of that view of, 
Why can't I do that? So that copper box card is lovely. But how did he get into the copper box? I thought Frank had that sewn up. No idea. Maybe the contract's run out. No idea. Or, or, or maybe this is the start of the thawing in relations. But he was there when Ben Hall got beaten by Carson Jones, didn't he? That was at the copper box, I'm sure. Was it? I'm sure it was. Um, so 27th of October, you've got Luke Watkins versus Isaac Chamberlain. You've got um, Craig Richards versus Jake Ball. You've got Jordan Gill versus... Oh, fuck, I've forgotten off the top of my head. Um, actually, that fight's been moved, hasn't it, I think? It's the uh, the Ryan Walsh fight. Hmm. Being moved up to Manchester, I suspect. But it, like overall, that card has got some just decent... 50-50 matchups throughout. John Ryder's headlined it, but there's no like real headline name. And I kind of think Eddie's been wise about this because if it doesn't sell, he can say, look, I've put on a card for people that claim they're real boxing fans and no one turned up. So I'm not going to bother doing that anymore. I'll just cater for the casual fan out there. Yeah, but look, that 27th card for anyone who's in London, um, that's a Saturday. So no one's got work the next day, I don't think. Unless you're Steve, DJ Boxing Bunk, who seems to work <laughs> on Sundays. But... Get your tickets. Like, I'm not even averse to getting one of the 200 ringsides for that one because these are the fights we said we wanted to see. And I think... And also, I just want that awkward moment like when we all just sit around Eddie Hearn. I've got a few t-shirts at home. No, no, no. Honestly, hand on heart, right? You get a ticket, we're going to find Hearn Martin because I want want him to say that shit. Because we've just been pulled up on this. I want him to say what he said on that IFL interview to your face. Yep. Yeah, that's what I want him to do. Um, right, as previews And go. also, look, the last one, buy your tickets from the boxers. Yes, not right? from StubHub, Ticketmaster, etc. Make the effort to buy your tickets off the boxers. Show that they're commercially relevant and viable. Your Jake Balls, your Craig Richards, your Isaac Chamberlains. Put the money behind them because... This is the, this this will do at least two three thousand tickets, right? If you can attach a name to every one of those, that's a powerful statement for those guys, especially when they're fighting for their matchroom futures. Um, okay, so you got mm, let's go for two big previews for this coming weekend. You've got Joshua Povetkin, you've got Askin Okoli. What do you want to start with? Askin Okoli, I think Okoli wins. I just think. There's something unique about Lawrence. I've talked about his story loads of times. But, you know, Askin's a tough guy, but Askin's susceptible. He's not, he's not a man who's infallible because he's been a pro for about 10 years. And, I mean, you're still British champion. So you're not, you know, we're not talking about world beater here. And it looks like Lawrence is on his way to world level. So this is, you know, that bump in the road we needed to see. It's a great fight. Like, Askin... Yeah has fought way above his station early on in his career, come back down, built his way back up. Last time I'm seeing him was uh, live was against Lawrence Bennett at York Hall for the English title. That night, he showed flaws against Lawrence Bennett. It was only a very short fight, and then they fell out of the ring and it all fucking yeah. died. Um, but the way that he's come back from those experiences and built himself up, this is a legit fight. Um, a legit fight. If a Coley comes through this... That's a hell of a statement so early in his career. I've got to base it on the fact that one of them's blocked me on Twitter and one of them follows me. Askin follows me. I don't know why Lawrence Okoli blocked me, so I'm picking Askin to win. You know why he blocked you? Say? You know why he blocked you? I haven't got a clue. I, I've barely tweeted the man ever, I don't think. And I've got huge respect for all those lads. Dan Aziz, 
uh, Fazeldin, um, Lawrence Coley, and Umar Sadiq. Like, all that lot down there. Cool box. Great bunch of lads. Like, really, I've been around each of them individually over time. Um, so, yeah, I have no idea why Lawrence blocked me. So, on that base, I'm picking Askin. Mate, mate, you know he heard the, the podcast you did with Isaac, right? And? It was way after that. He tweeted me something really nice, like way after that. He, he might have listened after, but well, what was he said? I hope you smash him. Yeah. And I did. Because <laughs> I would have blocked everyone that said that about my But I, I, I knew Isaac quite personally at that point anyway. So as a mate, I hoped he smashed him. But you'd say that to you, each of them, wouldn't you? It's like, the same way as you'd say, good luck. If you, if you, if you was interviewing or speaking to any boxer, you'd be, good luck. Wait a minute, mate. You just said good luck to me and I'm fighting. Yeah. <laughs> good luck to both of us. Yeah, it's nothing personal. And as I say, I actually have a lot of respect for Lawrence Coe. I think he's going to go miles in this sport. Okay, quickly then, Joshua Povetkin, because we are running out of time. Ball first, boring card. Don't waste your money. Go out on Saturday night and get pissed. If you really want to watch some <laughs> boxing, go to Brentwood on the, go to the Brentwood Centre on the Friday. Yeah? Don't waste your money on Joshua Povetkin. It does nothing for you. Right, just go out and get pissed. Go and enjoy your life, man. We're coming to the end of summer. Go find a pub garden if it's I warm. Re- just I chill. I've been here before, but uh, I saw a tweet earlier from Fury saying that the date for the Wilder fight is going to be announced this coming week. <sighs> it's not, right? It's not. it's not going to be announced next week. I'm bored of that as much as I'm bored of uh, yeah. AJ. You can't, you can't I, come I, in I, and go, guess what, guys? I'm going to be fighting mine. Everyone's like, nice one. Maybe. <laughs> no, I love I, I love the cock blocking that's happening here. Just anything to to dim the the attention to the fight. Just like when Mayweather was like, I might fight Pacquiao again, but, just but, to take the shine off. The fact that we're talking about it, basically, what they've done, like Warren and um, Al Heyman, whoever else involved in it, they've cocked the gun, they've loaded it, and now they're just waiting to fire that bullet. And Eddie's got to anticipate when that's going to be because as soon as they announce it, that will take an awful lot away from the Joshua. Povetkin fight so I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's this week at yeah. some point because they've got this loaded gun at the moment all they've got to do is pull the trigger release that date and it suddenly goes worldwide and it makes Joshua Povetkin look less so, important a question about that is it is it just I just petulance that when people do that is that or is strategy. there a serious it's not, it's not business strategy, strategy it's behind a, it's it a, it's, a, it's a chess move because what you're trying to do think about what they've done now right They've announced it. Joshua Povetkin is not a sellout, right? Not a sellout. We haven't seen any StubHub activity. They've won, right? That's their first victory. Yeah, because remember, Eddie Hearn said Joshua sells out Wembley, whoever he fights. And they've put the extra seats in for this. Yeah. They put 10,000 extra seats in Take it to 100,000. <laughs> and now look, yeah, now they've got to admit Joshua doesn't always sell out Wembley, right? If this is a dud, now you're like, I don't know if I want to go in April. That's when you announce it and you go, right, this is when Fury and Wilder are fighting. Now you don't care who Joshua fights because this is a fight you're more interested in. But you've got to time that date right. So you, you kill this fight and you kill the next Joshua fight. What's so. really odd about that is that I'd have more respect for some, like Eddie Hearn if he was being able to, like, he arranges the perfecting fight. He knows, he knows deep down inside it's not the best fight he could arrange. He knows it's not really, but he wants to big it up and he thinks to himself, look, it's not going to be the best-selling fight I got, but I'll make some money out of it. I have less respect if he literally genuinely doesn't know that that is not a good enough fight to sell all those tickets, puts extra seats in the arena, doesn't sell it out, and then goes, 
Oh, fuck. But it's not Povetkin that he assumed is selling the tickets. It's Joshua. But does he not know... He doesn't know it... He doesn't know the market well enough to know that just Joshua alone is not going to sell out No, no, no. Look at the assumptions. Like, everything before this had suggested he'd always sell out. Yeah. Well, he had always sold out. And then you get the overinflated prices that also sell out or sell significant numbers. So if I'm somebody that's selling a huge stadium to 100%, and then there's additional demand on top of that 100%, I'd be tempted to How many whack. times has he fought Wembley? Pitchcone? Uh, just the once, but he's done Cardiff, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, he's done Cardiff twice, right? Against? Takam and Parker. Yeah, so if I'm somebody who's selling out 100%, so- actually 115, 120% of the tickets, then I'd be thinking, yeah, I'm going to whack it. Yeah, I, maybe Takam I'd get. But like jo- uh, Parker makes sense because it was a world title fight. And then... And Klitschko makes sense because it's Klitschko. But no one really knew Parker. It doesn't matter if he's a world title. When I say no one, out of that 80,000 yeah. people that were there, probably 10% could have given you a decent breakdown of Joseph Parker's CV. The other 90% were there because it was Anthony Joshua. Joshua. Mm-hmm. Oh, but but this Wilder thing has hurt the fans because Wilder, was, Wilder made... He, he showed he was ready. He said, we'll make the fight in America. I'll make you a very rich man. Come to America. I think there's a large percentage of the fans that think that see it as a Joshua Duck. Oh, let's not get into this. I've got to get going. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, but yeah. We'll pick that up next week. So let's see how the the Wilder Fury thing plays out because that will be interesting. If they get it right, you'll see Joshua fighting in the O2 at some point. Right, okay, that's that's literally all we have time for. Apologies if I've missed your question out because I've missed uh, three or four out. So uh, forgive me for that. I'll try and recycle them next week if I can. If I can't, I will generally get through all the questions. So if I missed it out, send me one through next week and I'll get through it. But Martin and I both have dinner dates and that's not a dinner date together. That is genuinely... Although that would be okay if it was. (laughs) All right, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. Take care. Cheers, guys.